0: Fifteen. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck.
1: Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one.
0: From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is. The Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, it's time to restore some order to this podcast after sure. Tim Leonard took over for me last week, and I need to settle things down because that was a it was a it was a good performance by Tim stepping up in in time of need. I thought you you hosted well, despite the poor impression of me off the top.
1: I thought it was an excellent impression
0: off the you top. You know, as Tim Leonard said. uh there's only one Paul
1: Mancano, right. right? And you took that as a compliment, which I don't think it was intended to it be. It was, one. yeah. It you could take it either way. It was it was a broad, general statement that you decided.
0: And it's was true. a compliment, and it's true. You know, there is only one Paul Mancano. Well, it's a rare name to find, is it? Paul Mancano, a legend in his own mind. Still my favorite. Uh,
1: <laughs> I hope, hope people know that I'm not actually. Podcasts.
0: Yeah, that I'm not actually this cocky. Uh, no, that this is. But that is an ad. that is
1: probably my favorite. One of my favorite
0: comments that we've yeah. gotten. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't know who's, who commented it, but it was my header on Twitter for a long time. That and uh, Paul Mancanto second base. <laughs> second base. Kato. They didn't. They yes. forgot the N. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote a couple articles over the past couple weeks and uh, went back through the comments on massinsports.com and saw a lot of overall, like, people have been very welcoming, very, you know open and and nice about their comments, and I've seen a couple that are like, eh,
1: first paragraph didn't grab me, Yeah, and I'm like, you know what, I'll take that, that's that's
0: constructive criticism. When
1: I went to Detroit, I remember my first article, same kind of thing, there were a lot of comments that were like, very nice, and like, oh, I like the writing style, I was like, where are these on the podcast? Yeah, no, exactly. Where are these when I'm talking? I guess I can only write. We open the podcast, and it's just, uh,
0: it's all bad, you know? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding, you guys have been great. Uh, Today, we have a lot to talk about we are merely three less than three weeks away from the draft. Unfortunately, we don't have too much draft content ready to go just yet. We're hoping to have some more. We promise we will have some more. Uh, It's just catching up on everything. The big league team, we frankly didn't expect the big league team to be this good and this discussion worthy. I thought at this point of the season, we would kind of be looking forward a little bit. And frankly, we have
1: way too much to talk about with the big league team right now. Well, it kind of seems like over the last few years, the, draft pick in the top end of the first round has been kind of the main topic of discussion at this point because the Orioles have not been winning a lot of games. There weren't a ton of major league players to talk about. So when we got to this point in the year, we wouldn't really be having a discussion about which Orioles were all-star worthy, which guys could be making a solid bid to get to the all-star game we'd probably be talking about which of the Orioles is going to be their representative because every team needs one and and which of the Orioles is most worthy. Yeah. Whereas in this case, you have a bunch of candidates who have pretty strong cases to make the All-Star game. And because we didn't really have that to talk about, we would talk about the draft because yeah. the number one overall pick or the top five pick, whatever it was, was always so vital to the rebuild. And not that this number one pick isn't vital to the rebuild it's not like they're not going to get a great prospect but it doesn't feel it feels like a nice cherry on top almost it doesn't really feel like whoever this player is is going to have the weight of the franchise on his shoulders it just feels like another really
0: nice piece that you're able to have well I look back to 2019 when the Orioles had the number one pick and that year was not nearly as much fun on the field and you were not seeing nearly as many pieces of the future. At that point, Cedric Mullins had already been sent back down to the minors. Trey Mancini was having a nice season. But other than that, you know, John Means' breakout season was 2019, but you didn't have as many storylines of players on the field, and it was hard to look at the current roster and find many pieces of the future. That's the opposite case right now. And so it felt like the number one pick was so hugely important at the time because that was it. That had to, they had to nail it. They did so far from what we can tell in Adley Rutschman, uh, but it was not, it did not, you know, that draft pick garnered so much more attention than this one did. And it does feel right now like it is a cherry on top, but again, it is an important pick. I mean, they have to get this right because you, you just anytime you have an opportunity they won't draft this high next year unless the lottery balls fall their way which you know we'll see exactly how they end up structuring the lottery and where the orioles fall but
1: even with their record the orioles have what the ninth or tenth worst record in the league right now so if it was the normal format they would have the ninth or tenth overall pick yeah and i can't imagine that even if it is a lottery system that having the ninth or tenth worst record in the league will give you a very good shot at a top three
0: pick so like in all likelihood this is the last time the Orioles will have the number one pick for a while hopefully hopefully for a while and so you have to get it right because this is an opportunity to get a premier talent so we'll talk about the five guys in a little in probably a week or so uh, that we think uh, the Orioles could be targeting but in the meantime let's talk about the current team and the current all-star hopefuls because i'm gonna narrow it down to three candidates brendan jorge lopez austin hayes trey mancini i think unequivocally those are the three best players on this team and those are the three players that have the highest likelihood of being an all-star
1: yeah there's some other players that you could potentially throw out i mean keegan aiken has had a really nice season but he just doesn't have the saves and the era isn't so spectacular as to put him over the top Especially ahead of some other players around the league who are not closers and are still yeah. putting up better numbers than Keegan Aiken, guys like Michael King and Eli Morgan come to mind. It's really hard to make the All Star team as a reliever if you're not closing games. So I don't think Keegan Aiken really has a realistic chance. I think on June 1st, he did
0: when he had a 1.60 ERA. Now right. he's got a 2.48 ERA,
1: which so. is still excellent. Still really good. And he's still been playing really good baseball for the Orioles this year. I just don't think he has a big case. Same thing can be said for Cedric Mullins. The war is still really good. The war is up close to where Austin Hayes is right now because of how good he has been defensively. I just don't think the offensive numbers are there enough to push him into the top seven, eight, Outfielders, which is realistically where we're talking about Austin Hayes. Yeah. Um,
0: So we'll talk about Hayes in a little bit and where he fits into the conversation. We'll talk about Mancini, but it has to start with Jorge Lopez because he has been arguably the most valuable pitcher on this team through the first couple months of the season. And I don't even know if it's an argue. No, I I don't think it's an argument at all. I think he has been the most valuable pitcher. You can make a case that uh, the Orioles bullpen which is so vastly improved over last year's bullpen has a centerpiece in Jorge Lopez. And that's the strongest unit of the team right now. And he's the strongest member of the strongest unit. So uh, Brandon Hyde on Sunday was asked after the game, what the difference is between this year's bullpen and last year's bullpen. And he said, where do I start? He said, makeup, toughness, stuff, grit, And Lopez. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And he's right. I mean, Jorge Lopez has been an absolute revelation in his age 29 season.
1: Yeah, he's allowed seven runs the entire season. Only three of them have been earned. Yeah. He has an ERA of 0.84, which is second best in all of baseball among pitchers with at least 30 innings, second only to Clay Holmes, who I think has a 0.54 or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can make a legitimate case that Jorge Lopez has been a top three reliever in all of baseball this year. In 34 and a third innings, he struck out 34 batters. He is not allowed a home run. He is allowed 16 hits while facing 134 hitters. His only knock, maybe if you can find anything to critique about how he has pitched so far, is that he has walked 13 hitters. And has a walks per nine of 3.4. But that is the only thing that is even marginally an issue with Jorge Lopez. And it hasn't proved to be an issue in any of his appearances. And he hasn't walked a batter since May
0: 23rd. Right. So he hasn't walked a batter in the month of June. So those walks are going down. Yes. And the crazy thing is his strikeout numbers. Typically, when you have a reliever with an ERA this low, their strikeout numbers are gaudy. 10, 15 strikeouts per nine. He's striking out a little bit over eight batters per nine, but his whip is incredibly low. It's under 0.9. And he's pitching the best baseball of his career. He's consistently getting four, five-out saves. He's pitching more than a lot of relievers and a lot of top closers around baseball. And yet he's still getting incredible results. It's hard to overstate how good of a season he's having and we're really not talking about it enough frankly because it's flown under the radar and because anytime you have a reliever like this one or two bad outings could explode that era i mean look at what we saw from tanner scott and paul fry in the middle of the season last year when we were talking about them being maybe all-stars and then they hit huge road bumps at the end of june and july that could still happen with jorge lopez but so far He's having a Zach Britton in 2016-like season. Yeah. I mean, Britton finished that season with a .56 ERA, and Jorge Lopez has a long way to go. A lot of months of baseball yet to pitch, but he's on the path, and we have to
1: at least acknowledge that he is having an unbelievable season. Yeah, I mean, like if Jorge, look, if Jorge Lopez keeps up this pace, he's going to finish somewhere in the top 10 in Cy Young. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because he's been just that good. And obviously, the the cases are a little different for Lopez and Zach Britton, where Zach Britton was pitching on a much more competitive team. Jorge Lopez is pitching on this current Orioles team, which is still in the cellar of the very, very competitive AL East. And you have guys like Clay Holmes and Josh Hader who are pitching on two of the better teams in baseball. So when they are pitching well and closing out huge games it's a lot more noticeable. You're right. But when Jorge Lopez is putting up similar numbers for the Orioles, it's easier to fly under the radar, but he has been just as good as those two. I mean, he has a better ERA than Josh Hader. He has more a, a lower ERA on more innings pitched
0: than Josh Hader, who was a .92 ERA. than Kenley Jansen, who's near the top of the league in saves. All these guys are near the top of the league in saves. Jansen is a three fourteen ERA. Liam Hendricks, two eight one. Daniel Bard one nine eight, Edwin Diaz two three zero, Rocio Iglesias. These are some of the best closers in all of baseball. Not only does Jorge Lopez have a lower ERA, he's doing it with more innings pitched than right. all these guys. So he is arguably more valuable. I mean, it's incredibly rare to have somebody of this caliber who's pitching this much. Of the twenty nine appearances he's made so far this year, Jorge Lopez has gone more than one inning in eleven of those. Compare that to Josh Hader. He has not pitched more than one inning in a single outing this year. He is strictly a ninth inning closer. Edwin Diaz and Kenley Jansen, two of the best closers in baseball, they each have one appearance of more than one inning. So he's consistently getting these four, five-out saves, which is hard to do,
1: Yeah, and he's doing it regularly. And I think the difference is, when you look at some other closers around baseball, I think if you had to turn to Kenley Jansen to get a five-out save, he could do it. Same thing with Josh Hader. But realistically, you don't want to be putting your closers yeah. in that situation because they're just not built for that most times. Right, Jorge Lopez, we know that he has the potential to be a starter. Not going to go back to that experiment, obviously. But he can throw a little bit more length. He can give you more outs. And Brandon Hyde knows that if there's one out in the eighth inning and C.N.L. Perez gets into a jam he's confident that Jorge Lopez can not only pitch five innings and save that game, but he could come back the next day and pitch four or five outs. Yeah. It's a a weapon that
0: Brandon Hyde has clearly used and needed uh, in his bullpen. And this is a guy who had an ERA over six last year, mostly as a starter. And we talked ad nauseum about moving him to the bullpen And it has worked remarkably. I don't think either of us expected these kind of results. I think at the start of the year, we said he would probably lead the team in saves and he might have a solid season. But none of us expected him to have the kind of season that he's having right now. And it's awesome to see for a guy who, by all accounts, is beloved by teammates. When we went back to Kansas City, just about everybody in that Kansas City clubhouse, remember he was with Kansas City before he was DFA. The Orioles picked him up off waivers came over to say hi to Jorge Lopez individually, have a conversation with him. When I was walking into the ballpark, I was talking to the security guard at Kauffman Stadium, and he said, say hi to Jorge Lopez for me. That guy's the man. I talked to him all the time. He would, he, anytime he wanted, people wanted autographs, he would give it to him. He would give me things as we was walking into the ballpark. So he is very well-liked, and he's humble, too. We talked to him after the game Sunday, and somebody asked how it feels to be in the middle of this great bullpen and to be the guy that they look to the most in these high leverage situations. And he, he shyly smiled and said, am I? And we said, yes, you, you are. You're the closer of this bullpen. So he is the best of the best unit on the Orioles. And it's great to see for a guy who, by all accounts, is a
1: quality citizen too. Yeah, I mean, he is the best reliever on a bullpen that you could make a very strong case is maybe a top 10 bullpen in baseball yeah. right now because... There are a lot of guys here that are performing consistently well, and you would have to imagine that part of that is because Brandon Hyde doesn't need to push them out of situations that they are not comfortable in. If Jorge Lopez wasn't succeeding in the way that he's succeeding, maybe Felix Bautista has to become your closer. Right. Maybe CNL Perez has to become your closer, but because Jorge Lopez is pitching so well, you can keep Bautista and CNl Perez... And some other guys like that in situations that are still high leverage if you need them to. But you don't have to overextend them and make them your closer. You can keep Felix Bautista in the seventh inning. You can keep Perez in the eighth. And those are roles that they are thriving in right now. Yeah, And they are only able to be in those roles because everybody else is working in their roles as well. Exactly, And that's how a good bullpen should be. Exactly. I mean, when you have...
0: Guys that you can line up for seven, eight, nine, and you have a plan going into the day. How many times over the last two years have we seen Brandon Hyde have a quality lineup of a six, seven, eight, nine inning guys? It, not at all. No. In twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, in twenty twenty one, he just has not had the kind of arms. That this bullpen has right now, both in, in quality of the arms themselves and the stuff that they produce. I mean, Felix Bautista is out there pumping a 100 a and has had incredibly low walk numbers, which is a remarkable feat considering he was walking six batters per nine in the minors last year. That kind of stuff was incredibly hard to come by for this Orioles bullpen in years past. It was a lot of failed starters, honestly, right. in the, in those making up those bullpen. It was a lot of guys and this is not to disparage him, like Dylan Tate, who's a starter with not incredible stuff. He would pitch to contact. He was one of the better relievers on those, you know, in those bullpens. Now he's just another fill-in guy because they have the big horses to back him up that have the strikeout stuff behind a fill-in guy. So you, you can have long relievers, failed starters, so to speak, like a Keegan Aiken or like a Dylan Tate, to back up with... Felix Bautista, C.N.L. Perez, and Jorge Lopez, who are coming out and blowing hitters away. Well, Dylan
1: Tate has a, another one who's been fantastic. Yes, I mean he's I not going to trying to disparage. No, you know. he's not going to make the All Star game because he just hasn't been, you know, spectacular. Right. But he's been very consistently good. Yes, and, and there's a room. For, there's room for those kind of guys too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but I think with Jorge Lopez right now, I would be he would have to blow up not to make the All Star team. Right, he would have to get absolutely shelled over multiple outings to not make the all-star team.
0: You mentioned those seven runs and only three were earned, I think you said. yeah. A lot of that is due to the fact that he's pitching in some extra inning games. And when that ghost runner comes in from second, that's not an earned run. right? It's just an unearned run. So uh, that's a difficult spot to be in as well. And he's had to pitch in the 10th inning, which is, look, not a lot of teams are going to throw their closers out there in extra
1: innings like that. But even still, even if it was seven earned runs... That's still ridiculous. It's still very good. But it's just seven runs and only three of them are earned. Yeah. So could not be happier for Jorge
0: Lopez because I uh, the kind of season that he's having, I think he is by far their best candidate to make the All-Star yes. game right now. Let's talk about Austin Hayes, who I think is a step below Jorge Lopez in terms of likelihood. And it starts with the fact that as with every single season, the American League outfield is absolutely loaded. It's insane. It is loaded. It, it is remarkable that Cedric Mullins not only played in the All-Star game last year, but was a starter on that All-Star team. And it happened mostly because, not just because he was having an unbelievable year, which he was, but because Mike Trout got hurt. There was a series of injuries that led to Cedric Mullins getting that opportunity. Those opportunities are very rare because of the depth of talent that is in the American League outfield.
1: Austin Hayes is a very good outfielder. The issue is that pretty much everybody in the American League who is going to be a starter in the outfield is an MVP candidate. Yeah, I mean, you've got Mike Trout and Aaron Judge. They have locked up starting spots in the American League outfield. OPS is over one. For two months. They're insane. Yeah. Kyle Tucker has a war of three and a half and nobody cares. Yeah. Because he's just not quite as good as Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. But Kyle Tucker is also still having a ridiculous season. Yeah. And there are a bunch of guys behind them as well that are playing spectacular. Byron Buxton yep. has had a very good season despite some injuries. George Springer has been ac- excellent. Taylor Ward yep. is hitting over 300 with a 900 OPS. That's six outfielders already. Yeah. Julio Julio
0: Rodriguez, yeah. the rookie Adolis Garcia. Yep. Guys that are putting up incredible
1: numbers. Yeah. And Again, it's not to take anything away from Austin Hayes because he's been very good. But I just don't know if he's been one of the six or seven best outfielders. Last year, you mentioned Cedric Mullins. The American League took seven outfielders. There were some injuries there. There were some replacement players. I don't believe there's a cap on the amount of outfielders that you can take. I think the cap is just that there are 20 roster spots for position players. Right. I think you can just kind of decide based on the roster and based on you know who Deserve is deserving yeah. how many spots go to outfielders or infielders or however you want to construct it. So seven is not a hard number, but I think probably at best right now, Austin Hayes has been the seventh or eighth best outfielder in the American League. Which is nothing to sneeze at.
0: It's still very good, right. considering the depth of talent there, but it is not quite all star caliber. I mean, right now he is eighth or seventh, rather, in terms of OPS, a 789. Uh, Santander is actually eighth among American League outfielders, qualified American League outfielders, with a 778 OPS. Uh, he's come back to earth, Hayes has, just a little bit. He started the season on fire, and it was not. Likely, he was going to be able to sustain that. Um, he is... The numbers against the left-handed hitter, left-handed pitchers are bringing him back down a little bit. The splits there have returned to normalcy after he was crushing lefties for the first month of the season. He's now hitting 217 against the lefties. It's still an issue. He's hitting just 148 overall with a 614 OPS over the last seven games. So, again, he's still having an amazing season. He's still a very quality corner outfielder defensively. He brings speed on the base pass. He's just not a superstar like he was for the first couple months of the season. But he's traditionally, over the course of his short career, been a streaky hitter. He's in a slight dip, but that's not to take away from the kind of season that he's having because it was was unrealistic to expect him to sustain those kind of numbers. Yeah, and
1: again, when we're talking about the all-star case for Austin Hayes, not much of it has to do with the play of Austin Hayes. Yeah. A lot of it just has to do with the play of other outfielders in the American League. You mentioned Julio Rodriguez and Adolis Garcia. As of right now, I believe Hayes has a higher OPS. He has a little bit better batting average. Hayes is hitting about 280 with a 790 OPS, which is better than Julio Rodriguez and Adolis Garcia. Yeah. Garcia and Rodriguez both have higher wars. Rodriguez is kind of a a rookie sensation where if you're looking at fan voting or anything like that, Rodriguez is a popular player because he was a top three prospect in all of baseball. He's having a spectacular season as a rookie, and he's also incredibly exciting. He leads Major League Baseball in stolen bases. He's a great defensive center fielder. So I think when you're looking at kind of the group that Hayes is in, it's in that three. It's Hayes, Rodriguez, and Garcia. I think maybe one of those guys is an all-star, maybe two. So I think he has to beat out those two if he wants to be an all-star because I think the top six is kind of set. Yeah. With Trout, Judge, Tucker, and then Buxton, Springer, Ward. I think that top six is almost locked. Yeah,
0: and injuries can always happen. Right. And... We'll see if voting is already underway. So, you know, fans have already cast a lot of their votes. So even if Austin Hayes goes on a tear for the next week or two before voting closes, that might be a little bit too late to get him into the final kind of round. Could always be picked by the coaches. But again, that would probably require some injuries or some replacement players.
1: And I think, too, not that Jorge Lopez being so good hurts Austin Hayes' case But it's not like Austin Hayes would be getting this nod as the only Orioles representative because as we talked about with Jorge Lopez, he is very deserving of making the all-star game and we are pretty confident that unless, like I said, he gets shelled somehow, Jorge Lopez is going to be the Orioles representative at the all-star game. So this would not be a bid for Austin Hayes just because the Orioles need somebody that would be filled by Jorge Lopez already. And let's be honest, in previous years, it's sometimes
0: been difficult to find somebody for whom to throw into the All-Star game for the Orioles. Remember 2019, I think, of the cases being made for Trey Mancini, and then John Means ended up getting it surprisingly. But beyond those two guys, those were really the only options that the Orioles had. They were playing that well that we were even having a discussion about. So because every team needs a representative... Sometimes there's ends up being some guys on other teams that just, you can tell, are just there. I think of Sandy Alcantara from a couple of years ago with the Marlins, who had an ERA over four. Right. But the Marlins needed a representative. That's not going to be the case with Jorge Lopez. He's deserved a spot.
1: And even if the Orioles didn't need a representative, he probably would get in anyway. And luckily, I think that's not the case for any of the guys that Austin Hayes is going up against right now. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners... I'm assuming that Ty France will probably be the starting first baseman for the American League. He's had a spectacular year. And then for the Rangers with Adolis Garcia, Martin Perez has been excellent, has an ERA, I think, in the low twos as of right now. So I'd be very surprised if Martin Perez doesn't make the all-star game. So that helps Austin Hayes, where Julio Rodriguez and Adolis Garcia don't need to get automatic bids just because the team needs somebody. Last one I want to talk about is Trey Mancini.
0: And unfortunately, he's in a similar category where the position is pretty deep for a space. You have Anthony Rizzo. You have Ty France, who you just mentioned. You have Ladd Jr. uh, You have even Ryan Mountcastle. All have a higher OPS than Trey Mancini does right now, which is kind of sneaky because Mountcastle was not having a good start to the season. He's kind of ticked up his numbers. A good story to have. But Mancini, he's hitting... 283 right now he's got a 780 ops biggest issue here six homers and for a guy that in previous years at one point he 2019 had more than 30 homers in a season when fans or anybody is
1: looking down other guys numbers to see six homers is going to hurt your case well like if you're going to be an all-star first baseman you need to be a power hitter yeah i mean anthony rizzo has 18 home runs at this point like you just got to have the power numbers and even if you wanted to look at Trey Mancini as a potential DH candidate in the All-Star game you've got Jordan Alvarez and JD Martinez yeah. who are going to be filling those roles more than likely so it's or John Carlos Stanton even. or John Carlos Stanton right so it's tough for Mancini because when you look at the advanced numbers and even just the eye test i mean Trey Mancini feels like a top three hitter on this team right now, pretty easily along right. with Austin Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle. And when you look at the advanced numbers, you look at expected home runs, Trey Mancini should have way, way more homers than six. Yeah. And he just doesn't. And it's unfortunate because he's been hitting the ball well. And Trey Mancini is not only one of the best guys in baseball, it's one of the best stories in baseball. And you want him to be in as many major league events as possible yeah because it's just it's trey mancini and you want the story as well he just doesn't have the numbers for it right now he was awesome
0: in the home run derby last year that was one of the most fun oh, moments. that was so fun one of the most fun moments of the entire year last year i think you could make the case i mean that was a blast watching him on the national
1: stage one of the most fun times i've had just covering the orioles in general yeah. i mean we went down to the home run dirty home run derby watch party and just had the best time watching Trey Mancini with a bunch of Orioles fans. And yeah, I mean, the story is spectacular if you can get him to that kind of event.
0: And again, it's just the difference between having a very good year and having an all-star year. And he's just not quite having the all-star year. And you could make the case that he's getting unlucky. You you said he should have more than six homers. He's, in the 88th percentile in the league in terms of expected slugging percentage per stack cast he's 77th in barrel percentage he's 92nd percentile in expected batting average at 305 he should be hitting 305 right now he's hitting the ball incredibly hard he's making great contact he is progressing as a hitter he's maybe better hitter statistically it won't show it per se in the regular standard statistics, but he may be a better hitter than he was in 2021 or maybe 2019, but the numbers are just not there enough to get him to the all-star game.
1: And he's accurate too. If you're watching on Facebook and YouTube, he just hit it in the glove in the little Caesars thing in Detroit, in Detroit rolled right down the perfect the date. little wall there. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: he, yeah. And again, it's, it's not a knock on him. It is just the fact that he's in going up against a loaded category. So very, very deserving all three of these candidates i think if i had to guess right now and again still some time for votes to be cast and then they got to go through their several rounds i always lose track of how they do it they change it every year uh i think jorge lopez will be the orioles only representative in the all-star game but
1: they have so many more candidates this year than they did in previous years yeah i agree i think jorge lopez is probably going to be the only candidate especially because when you look at the outfield, and we talked about you know Rodriguez and Garcia, Julio Rodriguez is a young rookie who is just only going up right now, so yeah. his numbers are going to continue to get better as we get towards the All-Star break, and that would make seven. And, and he has some name appeal. Right. People know who he is. People want to see Julio Rodriguez in the All-Star game. Yeah. Not that that makes all the difference in the world, but he is a very young, exciting player, and when you are looking to market the game of baseball you're going to market it closer Around. to somebody like Julio Rodriguez rather than Austin Hayes. Yeah. Which works against him a little bit, and it's unfortunate, but Rodriguez is still very deserving. Yeah. So,
0: we'll see. Let us know who you think should be in the all- in the All-Star game for the Orioles. Before we get out of here, Brenda, I do want to touch on some minor leaguers. Because the Orioles are having a pretty good uh, stretch here. Month of June on the farm system, especially from their top 10 prospects with the exception of, obviously, Grayson Rodriguez, who continues to rehab from his injury. Heston Kerstad, who made his pro debut, now hitting four twenty-three with three doubles and three walks in seven games with single-A Delmarva. What a story. Yeah. For him to go from not playing at all in 2020, at all in 2021, starting the season late in 2022... And to make his pro debut with single A Delmarva and to be hitting the cover off the
1: ball is an exciting development. Very. And like you said, it's it's such a good story. It's so good to just see Heston Kerstad back on a baseball field. He's such a good dude. Yeah. I, he talked about when he was making his debut for single A Del Marva. he did a Zoom with media members and he was talking about just how being away from the game for so long just really reaffirmed his love of baseball and reaffirmed how much he just wanted to play baseball for a living. And he missed being on the field. He missed being in a clubhouse. He missed just everything about the game. So to see him back, not only back, but succeeding at the level that he's succeeding right now, it's pretty clear that he is better than single a, which is great. I mean, he's going to move up pretty quickly. You would imagine. I don't think the Orioles are going to rush him by any stretch. But there's no reason to keep Heston Kerstad at a lower level just because you are kind of working him back physically. Yeah. Because he can work back physically at higher levels. That's an argument we've made for some other prospects throughout the minor leagues as well. Yeah. Where just because, you know, they're maybe rehabbing, getting back into shape, that doesn't mean that they can't do it at a higher level. So I would expect that Heston Kerstad will get a promotion at some point relatively soon. I think he said after about 10 or 15 games or so, he hopes to get back to playing the outfield a little bit more regularly because yeah. right now they're DHing him a good amount, don't want to push him, but very, very exciting. Better, better safe than sorry, like all these guys. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's the reason Adley Rutschman
0: started his pro career in the Florida Gulf Coast League because the Orioles didn't want to rush him. You know, you, right. you don't, it's so much harder to take a guy and demote him and crush his confidence it's much much better to work him up slowly have him crush every level before he eventually makes his way up to, to baltimore and even just medically i mean you can't rush something no, like this with no it's, it's still a serious thing that he went right. through and look he was a number two overall pick and what have we heard from Michael elias about what they look for in number two or their top five picks anytime that they've made him it's not just the production the makeup is a huge part of this And the stuff that you talked about with his mentality, with his desire to come back to the game after undergoing through after going through everything that he's gone through, not every player would react like that. And that's why the Orioles do all that due diligence on these guys to make sure that they have the right mentality, the right attitude, the desire to play the game as much as a Heston Kerstad does, because you'd hope that nothing like that ever happens to anybody who gets drafted where they're kept out of the game for two whole years. They don't make their debut until two years after they're drafted. But if it happens, how can they respond to that? Do they still want to come back and play? Do they do they want to give up at that point? Do they want to change careers? Right. There's so, Every option is on the table for them at that point. And so that's why you do this due diligence during the draft process is because you want to see how these guys respond you want to get an idea of who these guys are as people and are they willing to stick through the tough times
1: and and to come out on the other side and nobody even would have blamed him if he he decided that he was just done with baseball and just couldn't put his body through that after everything that he went through i don't think anybody would have blamed him i think everyone would have been like yeah no we we get it that was a lot it's not like a regular baseball injury i mean myocarditis
0: is a serious it, it can be, and it, for him it doesn't sound like it was, but can be life-threatening at times. It's a serious thing to go through. So for him to want to come back, to have the desire, and so far to be putting in the results is an exciting development because he's often forgot about, understandably because he has been out of the public eye for most of his pro career, but here he is producing. And
1: so that's an extra chip that Michael Elias has in his, in his bag. Yeah, and even when you and I have talked about the future of the Orioles outfield. I don't think we forget about Heston Kerstad by any stretch, but it's almost like we don't really want to mention him in future plans because we don't want to put expectations on him. Right. Because at this point, it feels like really getting anything from him production wise feels like a win yeah. after everything he's been through. So if Heston Kerstad turned out to be a productive, nice guy, minor league career player and didn't really have an impact at the majors you'd still be happy that he was just playing baseball and that he was okay yeah and you wouldn't really expect
0: much it changes your perspective on everything it's it's like uh it it honestly feels similar to what trey mancini went through and how his perspective was changed and he learned to appreciate the game but also appreciate the fact that he's just getting to do this every day. And so our expectations, he's he's no longer just a number two overall pick. He can't be viewed through that prism anymore. He has to be, everything has to be taken into context when looking at his career. A couple other guys I want to talk about Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, these two guys promoted in lockstep up to triple a mashing again, Jordan Westberg average over 400 again, tiny sample size, 10 games, three homers, two stolen bases, Gunnar Henderson, 300, two homers, OPS over a thousand in twelve games.
1: I cannot emphasize enough how abnormal that is. Yeah, it is Gunnar Henderson is twenty years. He should not be doing this. He should not be there. He shouldn't <laughs> even be doing this in double A. Yeah. If yeah. Gunnar Henderson was twenty in double A and was hitting two fifty, you'd be kind of impressed. Yeah if his OPS was around 800 yeah because that is kind of what you would expect from a 20 year old top 100 prospect like Gunnar Henderson but he's the youngest player in AAA and it doesn't matter yeah he can't even have a drink and he is mashing <laughs> AAA North it's ridiculous it's a clown
0: question bro uh, it's not
1: normal. Yeah. Like, I, you need to keep
0: reminding yourself that it's not normal what he's doing. And Westberg is three years older, but he's putting up incredible numbers too. So these guys are living up to it so far. The hype that has been following them and has been steadily building as they continue to reach more Orioles fans. I think their names are getting bigger. And being brought up in more discussions as they continue to rise through national prospect rankings, I think right. these guys are only going to go up. I mean, Jordan Westberg is going to be a top 100 prospect at some point soon. Yeah, and we'll see come the mid-season
1: rankings, but he has to be. And they weren't first-round picks. No, that's the really exciting thing when looking at these two. Yeah, you expect the Adley Rutschmans and the Grayson Rodriguezs to be spectacular when they get to the minor leagues you probably didn't expect them to be as good as they were right but you still knew that the pedigree was there because that was why they were first round picks yeah Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson were not yeah they were not supposed to be this good Gunnar Henderson certainly wasn't supposed to be as good as he is I think you could have maybe anticipated Jordan Westburg being a fringe top one hundred guy who is just consistently good across the board because that's how he was at Mississippi State. Yeah, but he's still overperforming. Gunnar yes. Henderson is way overperforming, and the the
0: verdict isn't in yet on you know these guys. We're still only a couple of years after they were drafted. They haven't made their big league debuts yet. But look. I, I'm going to be interested to look at the guys who were drafted around the time that these guys were drafted and see if anybody has been putting up the kind of numbers that these guys have in the minor leagues so far. A uh, couple other guys want to touch on. D.L. Hall, uh, 11 Ks for the first time ever as a pro player in his last start and four and a third. Gave up just one earned run. The walks are still an issue. And it's part of the reason his ERA is a 440 right now in AAA He's walking 5.3 batters per nine, which is a tick up over where it was in 2021 when he had that only seven starts in A buoy. We've talked about it. it's not a command issue. It's a nibbling issue. And right now it is hurting him. And frankly, it doesn't really matter if that ERA drops an extra run. If he's still walking this many batters per nine,
1: that's a significant hindrance to him getting the call. Right, and the ERA is still pretty good the 440 isn't spectacular it's also not really what you would expect from DL Hall yeah because the stuff is so good you would expect the ERA to be somewhere closer to what Grayson Rodriguez had yeah at AAA Norfolk and like you said whenever DL Hall talks about his command he says that he doesn't really have a command issue the reason the walk numbers are higher is because he's trying to get hitters to chase out of the zone. And maybe what we're seeing right now is just a case of, okay, he's at AAA and more advanced hitters who have a better plate approach, better plate discipline are not chasing the pitches that he thinks they would be chasing. So maybe it's just, it needs to be a mentality shift for DL Hall where he can't work off the plate as much as he's been working Because hitters just aren't chasing at the things that he is used to having hitters chase at. The stuff is so good that he, at lower levels, was able to get hitters to go away from the plate, to swing at sliders down and away, whatever it might be. But more advanced hitters
0: aren't going to do that. And keep in mind, this is his first experience in AAA. I think it's hard to, you know, it's easy to forget that he has not pitched to AAA before this year because he worked on the same path as Adley Rutschman, and Adley had played in AAA, and they were both promoted at the same time in 2022. But this is his first time facing AAA hitters in his career. So you're going to expect some kind of you know, it, adjustment period, and that's what he's going through right now.
1: Yeah, and a lot of fans on, on Twitter have... Notice the fact that the Orioles will need a starting pitcher some point later in the week, yeah, and we don't really know who that starting pitcher is going to be. there's a possibility that it could be dL hall I don't really Tend to see, doubt it. I don't see that he's, I think it's probably going to be Spencer Watkins.
0: he's thrown uh, eighty nine pitches in his last start, which was the most still has yet to reach the 90s, which is uh, they're going they're probably going to want to see that benchmark
1: hit even pitch count aside. I don't think this is a Grayson Rodriguez question where yeah. the stuff is clearly so good. The numbers are clearly so good and it's only a pitch count thing. Yeah. Not only is it a pitch count thing for DL Hall, but like you said, the walk numbers are not good. The ERA is fine. Right. It's, it's not, not, it's not like he's completely dominating. He's like not Grayson banging Rodriguez. No. no.
0: Um, one other guy I want to talk about Colton Cowser who had a much maligned first month and a half of the season. Yeah, there was a, a lot of discussion of if the Orioles had a Colton Cowser issue. Yeah, I hated that. I don't know who threw that out there. but uh, No, he's, he's cha- the, an- the answer is no. He's changed the narrative so far. He's hitting two ninety eight in 15 games in the month of June. He is turning things around at the plate. He's be showing the kind of prowess that uh, he flashed at Sam Houston State of an advanced approach at the plate. Now, keep in mind, he's still at high single A. In Aberdeen. So he's still got a, a ways to go. Uh, but exciting to see that Colton Cowser is, is turning around. Yeah. And uh, I don't know when his promotion will come. I would have to imagine he's going to be a double-A player by the end of the year. But uh, could happen in July. Could happen in early August. I don't think he's right there yet. But it is promising to
1: see that he's making these steps. Well, it's his first like full season full of season minor now. league baseball. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, because of how good the Orioles farm system has been, just expected gaudy numbers from Colton Couser, expected that he would mash single A right away and forgot about the fact that this was his first year of professional baseball. Yeah. And it's not like he was Jordan Westberg coming from the SEC. Right, His numbers were great in college, but he was playing at Sam Houston State. Yeah, So the competition wasn't excellent. You drafted Colton Couser, with a mix of what you saw in college based on the competition he was facing and the tools in general and the confidence that the tools would translate regardless of the level of competition that he was facing. But I think it would have been a little naive to not at least anticipate a bump in the road as the competition got a lot better and he seems to have adjusted to that competition well so far.
0: Yeah, overall, I think you could say this has been a banner month so far for the Orioles' top 10 prospects. Yeah. With the exception of maybe Kyle Bradish, who's having some struggles right now at the big league level. Adley Rutschman's turning things around. He's having yeah. hitting
1: over 300 in his last eight games. Yeah, over over his last 10 games, Adley Rutschman is hitting 303 with a 361 on base percentage in OPS over 900. Nice. Six extra base hits, just five strikeouts and three walks.
0: So Rutschman... Kerstad, Westberg, Henderson, Hall, Cowser, all having a good time right now. Yeah. That's six of your top ten. Like to see it. Very good. And you got a number one overall pick coming their way in just a few weeks. Can't wait yeah. to, to prep for that. We're going to have plenty of coverage on at Masson Orioles on our Twitter handle, on Facebook, on YouTube, on the Masson app as well. At Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Of course, you can catch the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud. Please give it five stars if you have some time on Spotify or write a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Thanks to Tim Leonard for producing this podcast. Got the bump back down to the minors. He's just, uh, you know, he's
1: just riding the the bus back and forth between Norfolk and Baltimore. It it could be a Mike Bauman, Ryan McKenna situation. Options. back up he only has five options for the season we gotta be
0: careful we gotta be careful we've already used one right of his five options you know we've got a few more months to use them but we gotta be careful next time we call him up yeah um thanks to tim for producing this podcast thanks to everybody for following along and we will be back next week